When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looks like Mama Brooks is a little nervous. A little flip and an easy six. Jeremiah Hall has got his second touchdown today. That is so good. That is so good for Lincoln Miley. And this is why so many of us that love Sooners escape. Stop me if you've heard this before, but Oklahoma escapes. The Sooners are... 37-31 better than Kansas State on the road in Manhattan. But, hey, 5-0 and on the season gets the job done. Oklahoma holds it number six in the latest AP poll. We'll talk about that uh, here in just a second with some thoughts. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt. Uh, Rich, big news. Before we jump into this weekend uh, set of games, particularly with Oklahoma and Kansas State, there's some big news on the recruiting front in that Gabriel Brownlow-Dindy has set his announcement date. That date is October 12th. So that's coming up the after Oklahoma, Texas on the ninth, uh, that week following, he will make his uh, decision. Now, the good news is he was in College Station this last weekend. And the reason I say that's good news is because Texas Tech looked awful against Mississippi State. And so um, prestige-wise, you know, hey, I think Oklahoma still has the nod there, but maybe in terms of need, Texas A&M may be the one who, who leads on that front. His recruitment, and we've talked about this, his recruitment is down between Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Uh, there are five crystal ball predictions on 24-7 sports. All five of those crystal ball predictions have him coming to Oklahoma where his parents are both alumni. Um, the number three uh player nationally the number two defensive lineman uh in the in the 2022 class and the number one overall player from the state of florida obviously a five-star recruit this is one of those kids that i was talking about when we look at this 2022 class not quite having the clout as far as rankings as the 23 class the class that come after it but this is one of the kids definitely that can change that i'm not going to disagree Agree with you one bit here, Matt. When you look at the talent, when you look at the <laughs> excuse me physical attributes of a player like a Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, he's obviously a high target for this Oklahoma Sooners roster. You consider Joshua Ellison comes in via transfer. You have Perion Winfrey coming in via transfer. Both of those guys JUCO, and so you're looking at addressing some some needs, not necessarily immediate needs, but it needs two years down the road the biggest question that i have when you're looking at a Brownlow dindy and looking at the position that he plays is how does that affect the recruitment of a guy like chris mcclellan who we talked about last week defensive tackle two defensive tackle that two tackles that oklahoma is looking at in the 2022 class does it potentially sway a guy like a mcclellan who oklahoma has made so much ground up with in terms of the recruitment and recruiting against Ohio State and the Floridas, those those names that are in and thought to be in pretty tight with a guy like McClellan. 
Yeah, that's a good point, but I don't think it really makes a difference in this. And, and here's the reason why. You look at the rotation amongst the defensive tackles, uh, you know, those interior guys, and, and you look at, you know, Perrion Winfrey, Josh Ellison, Isaiah Coe, all those Juco guys coming in, Ellison and Winfrey coming in on the same class, Coe coming in a year behind them. Uh, I, you know, you look at 2023, how many five-star receivers? You got three five-star receivers in that 2023 class because it's all about the timing. It's all about getting on the field. And they, they see the number of guys that are making plays for Oklahoma. They see how deep this defensive line is. And they know if, if, you, if you earn the right, you're going to get on the field regardless of who comes in that class. So I really don't think it makes a difference. If nothing else, in my mind, I think it bolsters um, a guy like McClellan to come in knowing that he's coming in with another big time guy. Um, I, I, I think, you know, these guys gravitate towards one another. And I final thought here for me on Gabriel Brown Lodendi is if he does come to Oklahoma, I think I deserve a little bit of credit for this because I did see him at the Western Carolina game. And I said, hi. So if that happens, I just, just like that, just a, a quick hand up, a, yeah, a high like, head down, tip walking. Up. Yeah. I mean, just uh, or, those... or was this a situation where you turned to him and you said, Hey, when I wave and I say, hello, you respond by waving. No, and no. Here, hello back. Here's, I, mean, I, I don't know if you remember, I was talking about this. Here's how this went down. I'm walking out of the stadium with my son and my son says, dad, look, there's Gabriel Brown and Dinty. And I looked at him. I was like, I really think that's him. And then we had that awkward eye contact moment and we both did the sup type thing. And so, look, if it happens, um, Alex Grinch, just send me Calvin Thibodeau, whoever, I don't care. Just send me a, it's Halloween time. So when those uh, Reese packages of Reese's uh, pumpkins or they have the bats out, you know, something, something like that, just to say thanks. I, I'll, uh, I'll gladly accept that. Um, Oklahoma holds steady in the AP poll. Rich, I don't know if you knew this or not, but this is the first time since the season started that Oklahoma has appeared in the exact same spot in the AP poll as they were a week ago. So Oklahoma was number six last week. They're number six again this week. Um, clearly, when you look at the undefeated teams, they've got them ahead of like Michigan, the BYU, Michigan State. But obviously, you're behind Cincinnati, Penn State, Iowa, Georgia, and Alabama. Make no bones about it. I've said this over and over again. I think Alabama, Georgia, two best teams in, in the country. And I, don't, I think you maybe flip a coin at this point. But let me tell you what bothers me. And I, this has been coming, and we've been talking about this. Cincinnati beating Notre Dame over the weekend. The table is set for Cincinnati to, to, to go undefeated. And they've got a game on their schedule against SMU, Tanner Mordecai, and that group. And that could be a game, honestly, Rich, if, if they win that game and they run the table and they win their conference, I think they've got the resume to get, it's a weak resume, but I think they've got the resume put together to get into the college football playoff. I think that the, the road is paved now for Cincinnati to be one of the top four teams in the country when it's all said and done. I look at Cincinnati and I look at the defense that they're playing with, and it is something that's very appealing the way, and it's not just from this season, Matt, we've also got to look at last season. This is a resume that Cincinnati has been building for two years now mm -hmm. for them to make a case over the, the span of approximately 24 games is going to go a long way for a lot of people. And while it shouldn't, while the only factor that should 
should be at play here. When the college football playoff committee gets together for the first time is this season. It's, it's very unlikely. It's highly doubtable by myself to say that that's the only body of work that they're going to look at. And Cincinnati has been on this tear. Obviously it's why they were so highly ranked at the beginning of the season. It's why they had the hopes of being the first non-power five team to crack that college football playoff. They certainly are playing the caliber of a team that deserves to be there. I don't see any team on their schedule who's capable of beating them, but I've thought that about other teams in the past. So there's still a lot of football to be played. Here, Cincinnati does have an inside track, if you're asking me, to that college football playoff. They've just not got to get ahead of themselves and instead focus on one game at a time. And unfortunately, I think you are looking at a Big 12 team right now being that 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 program that's on the outside looking in. The Pac-12, Oregon getting the win over Ohio State, I think all but really – if I'm on the, the college football playoff committee, that's a big win. That's a statement win, and I don't think Oklahoma has – one of those, I don't think any program in the Big 12 has one of those, regardless of who wins the conference this mm-hmm. year. And that's going to be the difference maker for me. So Cincinnati inside track, Big 12, possibly the the conference on the outside looking in when it's all said and done. Well, I definitely think the Pac-12 is on the outside looking in right now. Oregon goes down this last weekend to Stanford. So they're they're out. That's a that's a pretty weak conference. You got some. You still got some players in there, but you know UCLA has lost, Oregon's gone down. So I, I think I don't think you can say the Big 12s on the outside looking in in that situation. I think the ACC and the Pac-12 are definitely in worse worse standing than the Big 12. Big 12 shows two undefeated teams and two teams mm-hmm. in the top 12 right now, and so you still got that going for you. But Cincinnati is going. Here's where they're going to hurt because we know based on history and really this year i think it's legit a one loss if alabama and georgia run the table and meet each other in the in the championship game i think they still both can make the college football playoff yeah i cincinnati, agree cincinnati is going to be in so then a one loss conference team from the big 12 where you may where oklahoma in the past has had a chance to get in with one loss if cincinnati's in a one loss Big 12 teams probably not going to get in over like a, you know, a one loss Big 10 team. So that's where you kind of start to see the, the issue with the Cincinnati. But hey, if they deserve it, they deserve it. If you're Oklahoma, you went out. And, and I still say this. If you're Oklahoma, you went out and, and you, you've got a case. I, I think it's still winning you're in. Oklahoma's at number six. It's not like they're way, way out of the picture here. Iowa, Penn State, they're not both going to survive that. Um, that that big I don't, I don't want to use the word gauntlet as if the Big Ten right now is just really a you know a throwdown uh, every weekend but the Big Ten it, it's that Texas thing Rich everyone has this perception when Texas is down that the Big 12 is down which is not true but you're kind of looking at the same thing with Iowa State being at four and one uh, sorry Ohio State being at four and one everybody's like oh Ohio State man they just don't look the same so the Big Ten's down but man Iowa I was playing some dang good football right now, and I was so wrong on the Friday locks. I had I had Maryland uh, covering that, and Iowa just thrashed the Terrapins. And so uh, they they very much every every week I say, you know, I was not going to get five turnovers, but every week I feel like Iowa gets five turnovers, and I think it's it's time to start giving them the credit uh, for for what they're doing defensively. 
Speaking of giving credit, I said I'd have to do this. Oklahoma State with the win over Baylor. The Cowboys make the biggest jump in the AP Top 25 this week, moving up seven spots all the way to number 12. And I, I, I said I would do it. And, and here's the thing. I'm not doing it in spite. I'm not doing it. I, I, I just it, It's legitimate. You got to give Mike Gundy credit for what he's doing. He, he's found his running back. He's, he's got defense that's, that's leading the way. You know, the Warren kid is seeing him emerge has changed this offense. Spencer Sanders is still a turnover machine, but the way they're playing defense and the way they're controlling the game on the ground, uh, this team they're doing, I mean, they're doing, they're five and oh, I can't, I can no longer say weak sauce about them because they're five and oh. And, and now that I've said that, um, they're probably going to lose next weekend, but I, I did say you beat Baylor, you earn my respect. And so there it is. And we'll talk more about Oklahoma state, uh, coming up later on when we do the big 12 rundown. One last note for me, rich on the top 25, Texas jumps in the poll this week. I'd said on our big 12 ranking, the big 12 games of the weekend that, um, the winner of TCU in Texas would, would make it into the top 25, the Longhorns in at number 21, officially making the red river rivalry this Saturday in Dallas, a matchup between top 25 teams. That's all I got. College game day. Yeah. College game day going to be there. I, I do think Matt, after watching this Kansas state game, and I know we'll, we'll jump in to a little bit of the meat here, dissect that game. But this was a game for Oklahoma that I think propels them into the Red River rivalry. And while a lot of people want to look at the score of the 30, the 37 to 31, I don't think the game was truly that close. It wasn't as close as the score, the scoreboard I agree. I agree. would indicate. And unfortunately, that's the major takeaway that I know a casual fan will have. But you you and I sat down and we specifically mentioned this offensive line. And this was the first game, which we'll get into this, but I'm going to give you a little preview, I guess. This offensive line was actually moving people in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first time that I felt like there were gaping holes for the running backs to maneuver in and to facilitate whatever, whatever down it may have been, but to facilitate positive yardage through that was something that we hadn't seen on a consistent basis. And it was really the second half. That was the indicator that this is a team that things are finally starting to come together for, and they're starting to figure out who's going to play on that offensive line, but more importantly, what are they going to do schematically in order to set that group up for success? And like I said, I feel as though they started to lock that in against Kansas state in the second half. Well, and there's a, there's a, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say for the Texas game, it's a positive sign. I get why college game day is going to be there. It's one of the top rivalries, if not the the biggest rivalry. Um, But I had a conversation. This is total random thought at this point in time. You know, Oklahoma and Texas fans love to hate each other. But I was sitting at a table this weekend with a couple of individuals who are not Oklahoma fans, who are not Texas fans, but rather fall into the category of being an Arkansas fan. I And I know the big eight exists. I know that Arkansas and Texas had a rivalry to an extent, but I never thought it would rival that of Oklahoma and Texas. And there are people at the table who are saying, I thought Oklahoma fans hated Texas. I didn't learn until running into Arkansas fans that there was a group of people who hated Texas more. And of course, I brought up Mm -hmm. Texas A&M, but I was shocked 
at the yeah. old Arkansas. Uh, you, you, nice. said, you said Big A, but that's the old Southwest Conference days. Uh, Arkansas, yes, Baylor, that's what I meant. Texas. My apologies. Yeah. Um, no, that, that was that was a heated rivalry. And that, that's, you know, Texas is 0-1 on rivalry games this week, at, at this season. And I don't, I don't know that I would say that um, – I don't know that I would say that Arkansas fans hate Texas more than Oklahoma fans, but I think they both equally just love to see Texas be miserable. And so where uh, there was a – the majority of the Sooner Nation, because you do, it's kind of a weird thing. You do have that one segment of Oklahoma fans who want Texas to win for the sake of the Big 12. And so they'll cheer for Texas as long as Oklahoma's not playing them. I don't get that. That's not me. That doesn't describe me. Oklahoma has just done, has done fantastic in the Big 12 with Texas just riding the suck train. But that said, the majority, 90% of Oklahoma fans were cheering for Arkansas a few weeks ago, and I'm willing to bet that 100% Arkansas fans will be cheering for Oklahoma this coming weekend in the Cotton Bowl. There is a reason why Oklahoma really got it going in the second half against Kansas State, and we're going to start breaking that game down right now. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, so let's start with Oklahoma's offense, Rich. The Sooners uh, put it on the Wildcats, so to speak, 37 points, which is kind of a – when you look at it, 16 and 13 points, you know, or scoring, uh, 37 is kind of a scoring boom for Oklahoma. 22 first downs in the game for the Sooners, 392 total yards. Uh, Oklahoma with – what was really for me was 24 points in the second half. Because you've seen this team the, the two weeks prior against Nebraska, against West Virginia, really just kind of slow down. Even you could say Tulane, slow down offensively in the second half. But they really picked up the pace offensively in the second half. And there's a really good reason for that. And so if with your permission, I'd like to start right there on that. And that's all about time of possession. Oklahoma only had three offensive possessions in the first half of this game. And, and I, sometimes I see something on Twitter or social media and I say, man, that's a great point. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, but sometimes I see things on social media and I'm like, how, how do you like, how does your brain work in this capacity? Oklahoma, three possessions in the first half. How many of those possessions did they score on, Rich? All, all of them. Exactly. And people are like, you know, you should have done more in the first half. Okay, so maybe maybe you go for three touchdowns instead of two field goals and a touchdown. But the, the, the simple fact of the matter is Oklahoma had three offensive possessions in the first half, and they scored on three offensive possessions. In fact, they scored in their first five offensive possessions of the game. This is only the second time this season Oklahoma's gone through an entire game without punting. And so I, 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 I'm, not, I'm just speaking to this one portion of the fan base because I don't understand you. Because there's one portion of the fan base – where it's clear it'll never be good enough. It'll never be good enough. Spencer Rattler, 22 of 25, Rich. 88% completion rate. Now, can you imagine how difficult it is to complete 88% of your passes? Yeah, but he threw an interception. Should put Caleb Williams in there. He won't throw an interception. No, he just won't catch. <laughs> he won't catch the snap. He'll just let the snap go right by him. 
22 of 25, 243 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception that, let's be honest, on third and long, that was just, I mean, it was a glorified punt. I got no problems. That interception was inconsequential for me in this game. But I think when you when you start dissecting what Oklahoma's doing offensively, it comes back around to what the opponents are doing to limit Oklahoma's time on the field. And, and what I mean by that is West Virginia, nine-minute opening drive. Kansas State, they limit Oklahoma to three possessions in the first half. Here's my question. Is it time for Oklahoma to consider when you win the coin toss, just taking the ball? You just take the ball first. Because that's what's, that's what's happened with the second half on Saturday is that Oklahoma, they got to set the pace. Be, mm-hmm. Because Kansas State's already down by three at the half. Oklahoma gets the ball, a fantastic drive to start the second half. And now Kansas State's down 10. So they're playing from behind. And so you really can't slow it down. You got to speed up the pace, which means you're going to give more time for Oklahoma's offense to be on the field. And so is it time for Lincoln Riley? We we saw a little bit of his coaching genius on 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 Saturday. Yeah, I know the onside kick that it went 10 yards before they recovered it. But did you did you know, Mr. Referee, that you can't actually kick the ball twice off the tee? So what I would like you to do is go back and look at him kicking the ball twice off the tee because apparently Big 12 officials don't know that's a rule. But maybe Lincoln Riley in his in his coaching genius, maybe it's time to consider just taking the ball and starting the game off on offense. Now that could backfire if you don't score in that opening possession, but it also could solve the problem of putting a team, you know, kind of behind from the get-go. Just just a thought. You you tell me what you think. Am I crazy? I don't think that you're crazy. It's actually a brilliant idea. And what we've seen that is this blueprint that's being laid where teams are attempting to limit the number of offensive possessions that Oklahoma has. It was even brought up on the the broadcast of the game against Kansas State in Manhattan is that if you can limit this Oklahoma team to about nine offensive possessions per game, you've got a significant shot of not only hanging around, sticking with this Oklahoma team and this Oklahoma offense, but you've got a decent shot of actually winning the game. Again, I I have a differing opinion than I, I know that the masses will when it comes to this game and saying what I've already said, which is that it's not as close as the scoreboard actually indicates that this game was. I get that it's a six-point victory. There's a lot that has to go in favor of Kansas State, and they got one thing to go their way. But I, I want to touch on the, the special teams and that mishap there because I said immediately when that ball was kicked, I said, I don't know who's – who's going to challenge this call, but whoever spotted what, what took place and what transpired in real time is getting paid big bucks for a big reason. That was something that, that was never even questioned, never came up, never looked at how odd that ball just flat. I mean, it looked like a flat ball when he kicked it, the way that it bounced and then went straight back to the ground. Didn't think anything of it though, until it was brought up in that challenge. And I know that of course um, it's on, the game was on Fox. They want to bring in their expert to dictate the rules to us and whoever it was, I don't know the name. I don't really care about the names. I've never tried to memorize those individuals, but they kept saying once 
a play has been reviewed, it's no longer challengeable. But I said, you know what? Like, I get that it's being reviewed. I get that a decision has been made on the review, but Lincoln Riley's not even challenging the same call. Right, like right. we with that's on the broadcast. Exactly, that's what's been lost on, in the argument. On on the 10 yards, that's what was initially being decided. Did mm-hmm. the ball go 10 yards? Yes. Yes, the ball did go 10 yards. Cool. Well, we're not going to challenge that. Instead, we want to go to a previous point of this play and question what took place. But like I said, that whoever made who whoever has the eagle eye to spot something like that deserves the money that they're getting paid on this sideline. Because in real time, I I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. And I, I never make that call. Well, clearly someone, you know, Lincoln Riley's in his headset getting clarity as he's talking to the officials. And, and you know, I saw a lot of Kansas State fans upset about this, and I saw people nationally mm-hmm. upset about it. But, again, it's it's two separate calls. The, the, the coaches are allowed one challenge. They're, they're allowed to challenge a call. And Lincoln Riley was challenging the kick, not challenging where it was recovered. He was challenging the kick. Exactly. And, and here's the thing that's that's really messed up in all of this, and I've said this for so long. Worst officiating in all of college football is the Pac-12. Second worst officiating in all of college football is the Big 12. And that should have been caught on the review. Whoever that replay official is should have caught that ball being touched twice off the tee. And Kansas State fans are upset. Oh, you can't do that. That's just breaking the rules. Well, you know what else is breaking the rules? Kicking the ball twice off the tee. That's breaking the rules, okay? Mm -hmm. So – it is the right call. Kansas State fans don't don't like it, but hey, this is nothing like Oregon, you know, two thousand and five or whatever it was when OU gets hosed up in up in Eugene uh, on that onside kick. It's nothing along those lines. They actually made the right call, but that that's neither here nor there. Oklahoma did have a huge special teams blunder themselves on the kickoff return for mm-hmm. a touchdown at the end of the game, but still, I mean, I I, I would like to know just out of curiosity what the record is for onside kicks in a game because I feel like Kansas state was getting pretty close to that. Let's talk about the offensive line for the Sooners. Um, You know, I I wrote in the recap, Rich, I said the, uh, the offensive line was better and worse and better in, in the standpoint (laughs) of, you know, you're, you're right. They moved bodies. And, and if you remember when we did the preview for this game, what we talked about was Lincoln Rada was going to simplify things. And that's the reason why I thought I, my bold prediction was that Kennedy Brooks would be Oklahoma's leading rusher. And here's the, here's where that comes down to. They're going to simplify on this play. You're going to move this defensive lineman to this spot. And Kennedy Brooks isn't a dancer. He's not a cutter. He's a straightforward guy. So you move that guy, and Kennedy Brooks has a spot to go through. It's not a knock on Eric Gray. Eric Gray is phenomenal, and the sky's the limit for Eric Gray. But in a physical game, you need a physical back who's going to hit the hole, hit the gap, and, and get four yards at a time, five yards at a time, or make a linebacker miss. Or if you can get to the second level and clear out that linebacker, get downfield. And that's what we saw from Kennedy Brooks. So you see them simplify the scheme. And you saw, again, another thing we talk about, you saw them kind of neutralize that point of attack. 
by instead of going vertical, they go horizontal. They they did the bubble screens. They they did the stretch plays. You know they 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 did those type of plays to to move to spread the Kansas State defense out sideline to sideline, and and then they moved Spencer Rattler in the pocket. They they didn't always keep him straight back, and so they did a lot to help Spencer Rattler find his rhythm early. They did a lot to get the to get the running game going by simplifying. You know sometimes less is more, and that's what the, that's what they they took into this approach. But but man, the the penalties, Rich, the penalties, yeah. the the, mm-hmm. the false starts, the the personal foul, those are so they're better, right? They're better schematically, they're better in what they do, but then mentally they took a step back. This was the worst off mentally. This is the worst offensive line has played since Tulane, in my opinion. So they're better, but they were worse. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head with this one. You'll remember, Matt, when we did the preview, I said this is the first true road game right. for Oklahoma and that they couldn't they couldn't mentally collapse. I'm not saying that there was a total collapse that took place, but there were lapses here and there, which were costly. There were numerous occasions, and there were penalties not just on the offensive line, but because we're centering on the offensive mm-hmm. line here, it was something we were hoping to see them clean up. It was something where we were hoping this this offensive line would be in the right mental headspace. And as I said, they're just they're they're not there yet. Right. It's still a work in progress. And the the worst part about it for me is that it's the experienced players. Mm-hmm. It's not these guys who are competing and finding their names with the or on the depth chart. It's not the guys that are competing for the starting roles. It's the guys who already have them locked up. They're the ones who seem to be committing the penalties. You talked about the personal foul. They're the guys who are in the mix more often than not, and they're hearing their name over the PA system, which is not not a good look for a guy who's hoping to make the jump into the NFL because you can already guess that that's going to be some of the questions that are thrown at them as they begin to undergo evaluations and look for that draft grade. I do expect better moving forward. From this offensive line, schematically, I agree with you. I thought they did a better job than what we've seen. We've already mentioned the fact that they were moving bodies. They were creating that bubble around Spencer Rattler. They were giving him time. Spencer Rattler sure took a couple of sacks as well, which isn't necessarily welcomed, but I felt as though there was room for him to move if he would get rid of the ball. And and this is a push and pull situation, and that part of that responsibility, yes, falls on the quarterback depending on on what that looked like and how that play was developing and then other times it's flat out on the offensive line Mm -hmm. so again yes better play better schematically better in their responsibilities but at the end of the day the penalties have to disappear they just have to and and here's the truth i can live with two sacks When, when you're playing a defensive front the quality of kansas state I, I can live with two stacks. I, I really can. I, I got no beef with that. Um, I can live with one false start penalty. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to throw another twist at this because, because the, the personal foul was, was egregious. It sets up a long kickoff that ultimately got run back for a touchdown. Um, but one thing that you and I talked about, Rich, was just the, the nasty, right? I'm just playing nasty. Mm-hmm. And we said we hadn't seen that. Well, now you have. You, you, you've seen it, and, and you see it from a couple of guys who were just like, you know what? 
we're we're just going to be dirty. Well, not not dirty as in you know low blows blows below the belt dirty, but just you're gonna you're gonna have to pack a lunch and earn your paycheck against me today, because I'm gonna come at you, and when I get you, I'm gonna embarrass you in front of fifty five thousand of your closest friends. That we have not seen that from this offensive line, and we saw it. We saw it on Saturday, and and the 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 pin the personal foul again. I'm not excusing it. But the personal foul was, hey, you're not going to treat me like that. You're not going to push me like that. You're not going to talk to me like that. And so it, it, it is a level of attitude that we hadn't seen from this offensive line. Now you just got to do it between the whistles against Texas, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just, just keep it, you know, as they would say, keep it clean, keep it between the whistles, but keep that same tenacity. Um, so one other thing that, you know, developing story from West Virginia to Kansas State was the Caleb Williams chance and all all of that. Do you feel like we can put that to bed now? Personally, I do. I, I get, and we have said, I went on record saying that Caleb Williams is an athletic quarterback who seems to be the right guy to take the next step after Spencer Rattler and why he may be in his career over the course of that career. He may be a better quarterback than what we're seeing from Spencer Rattler. It's very obvious after what we saw on Saturday that Caleb Williams isn't ready to take over the reins. It was very obvious to me when you're looking at the defensive front and you're talking about the caliber of defensive front, not only that West Virginia has, but Kansas State has and a couple of other teams that Oklahoma is about to face in the Big 12 as well. They're in Caleb Williams' head at the collegiate level. He hasn't taken many snaps in live game situations. And when he turns and he claps, he gives the signal for that ball to come from the center in the shotgun to him. But it's... I, I don't know what happened mentally for Caleb Williams, oh, but it's like the ball didn't come <laughs> slow as he expected it to. It got there a lot quicker, well, he's, which then, he's, of course, as you saw, led led to the blow by. He's looking at the defense. He's still reading the defense. Mm-hmm. That was going to be, in my opinion, some sort of either a draw zone read or even a pop pass, but it's going to depend on what the defense does. And so you you, you read the defense, you secure the snap, and then you look back at the defense, but he read the defense and he didn't secure the snap because he's still looking mm-hmm. at what the defense is going to do at the snap. And again, it, it just goes back to, to enforce what you and I have said for so long since this all started is that when you have struggles that, that aren't really related to the quarterback, they're related to another issue. The very last thing you want to do is put a true freshman in. Yeah. And and that that just that proves the point right there. It's it's a it's an experience situation where he's learning. And it's 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 Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. It was was Kyler Murray a better collegiate quarterback <clears throat> than Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I think for that one season he was. I even think you can make the argument that he's a better pro than Baker Mayfield. But in that moment, in that season, Baker Mayfield was the answer for this team. They were both fantastic quarterbacks. They were both Heisman Trophy winners. They were both deserve every single accolade that came their way. But in the moment, Baker Mayfield was the better of the two calls. Same thing. It could be the very exact same situation, exact same case. Caleb Williams could ultimately be a better quarterback than Spencer Rattler. But in this moment, Spencer Rattler is the answer. And I think that was proven on Saturday. Do you know 
the number of completions that Spencer Rattler has made, not over the course of the entirety of two games. I, I do need to go and check this, but of the, the past 41 pass attempts, had 25 on Saturday. Of the past 41 pass attempts, do you know how many Spencer Rattler has completed? I mean, I know he's at a high percentage. I can't tell you. I know he's. Mm -hmm. he, I know he completed twenty-two or twenty-five because we've already talked about that. Right. I, and so I know he was. There's three misses. So he was in seventy-four percent range coming into this game. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I, I'm going to say out of the previous forty, what'd you say, forty-five attempts? Forty-one. Forty-one. For, Forty-one attempts. I'm going to say he's mm -hmm. around thirty-three, thirty-four completions. Okay, he's at thirty-seven. No, I, was, I, 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 30, I, I hit it low. Sorry. 30, 37 completions on his past 41 attempts. I, I know that that does not span the full two games of West Virginia and Kansas State. It does not span the full conference slate that Oklahoma has played. But we're also looking at the fact that this is an Oklahoma offense that has scored on 10 of their past 12 mm -hmm. possessions. And one of those possessions resulted in the interception. So we're, we're looking at a very efficient offense when Spencer Rattler is in there and I think it's easy to overlook and I have to go back to what I said at the beginning of the season when Oklahoma stepped on the field in the season opener against Tulane which ended up being at home even though they were the away team for that contest was the lack of the big play and I know that Oklahoma fans I know that those who have watched Lincoln Riley expect the big plays the down the field shots to open up and to be be there consistently while they haven't been, it's easy to look at this offense and say that they're not putting up the same numbers that they did, whether that was last year or whether we want to go back to the names that you've already mentioned, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and even Jalen Hurts. This is still an efficient offense mm -hmm. that is scoring when the opportunity presents itself, when they have the ball, when they're given the chance to drive the field. They are driving the field. Yes, I get it. They're complaining all you want about being backed up in their own end zone and not being able to muster any type of offense and having to punt the ball away. But it's, I think it's very easy to overlook this one fact, Matt, is that Oklahoma didn't punt against Kansas State, right. not a single time. But you feel like they did because of how, how, the scoreboard, how the scoreboard turned out. The efficiency that we're seeing with Spencer Rattler is, is the bread and butter of this team on the offensive side of the ball. And I think to put in a guy like Caleb Williams, you would see that diminish pretty greatly. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I, I think, I think we're kind of hit, reached the point where we're kind of beating a dead horse, so to speak on this. Um, give let me go over a couple of the stats and, and then you're going to tell me your offensive player of, of the game. We, we, we've talked Spencer Rattler, Let's talk Kennedy Brooks, 15 carries, 91 yards, six and a half yards or 6.1 yards per carry a rushing touchdown. Eric Gray wasn't terrible, five and a half yards per carry, but he only got four carries. Marvin Mims led the team, four receptions, 71 yards. That was a welcome relief. Michael Woods with the big touchdown catch on the, on the Spencer Rattler scramble play. Uh, three receptions, 33 yards. And then you got Braden Willis with four catches in there, 31 yards. Uh, give me your guy, Rich. Who's your guy that you said, you know what? This was this was a, a big day for him. Can I go with the obvious answer here and say sure. Spencer Rattler? Yeah, because, because remember, Spencer if you remember in the preview, we put him back on the table. Spencer Rattler has been mm -hmm. off limits, but we put him back on the table because <clears throat> he was my guy to watch coming into this game. So yeah. absolutely, you can pick him. Uh, I do think Spencer Rattler was the star 
of this game. Yes, there's the error, but when we look at what was transpiring throughout the course of this game, Spencer Rattler was very accurate. He was throwing in to tight windows. I think the touchdown that you mentioned to Mike Woods, he doesn't need to be that tight <laughs> of a window, but he puts it in a place that Mike Woods is going to be the only individual who can catch mm. that ball or it's going out of bounds. It ends up being a catch. It ends up being a touchdown. And it really narrates the story for me of just how accurate and the type of precision in terms of the speed of the ball or right. if he needed to lob one over the top as well, where he, the, the ball placement, that accuracy, the precision that he was throwing with was off the charts for me. And it's why I think that he deserves all of the credit in this game. Well, let me tell you two things about that one play real fast. N number one, Spencer Rattler made a crud ton of money on that play. I'm just saying NFL, NFL scouts see that and they're like, yep, this is our guy. Because he, when he, he felt the pressure, he moved, he didn't panic, he kept his eyes downfield, and he put that ball on a rope. That was a big-time NFL throw to Mike Woods in the corner of the end zone. <coughs> Excuse me. And the second thing on that is Pro Football Focus had Spencer Rattler rated as the top, um, highest-rated quarterback under pressure this weekend. And, and plays like that show exactly why they had him as that rating. And that, that was just the two things I wanted to point out about that play. Big, big, big time performance for Rattler. And that play exemplifies it. Uh, since you said Rattler, I'm going to go with Jeremiah Hall. Um, first ever career rushing touchdown. And we're going to throw a huge assist out there to Jaden Hazelwood for the block. If you've not seen it, <laughs> you can go to heartland-sports.com, shameless plug, heartland-sports.com and look at our, you know, uh, game defining moment, all our, our post game post. We, we have it in there. Um, I actually think it's also in our notes post on heartland-sports.com. Uh, but J Jaden Hazelwood, if you're an Oklahoma fan, there's no way you haven't seen this play takes out three Kansas state defenders on one block in that play to help Jeremiah Hall get into the end zone. First ever career rushing touchdown also had a receiving touchdown uh, on a, on a really, it's the first time that they've run that shovel pass this season that it worked. It worked the way that they, they drew it up. The other times I've not really been pleased with that, but man, it, it was fantastic. They went the way they did it this go around uh, three catches, 20 yards. So he had three catches. He had two rushes. He had five touches, Rich, and he scored two touchdowns on five touches. So I'll give him the, the nod uh, since you took the obvious guy in Spencer Rattler. And it's a good thing that you're taking the lead on stuff like this because you're about to get in the hot seat for true or false, which is going to be our next segment coming up. Okay, Rich, you know how this works. True or false, I ask you, um, uh, you're waving your finger at me. Am I doing something wrong? No, I, I was going to ask you a, a, a kind of an ending question. Oh, my bad. For the, the offensive side of the ball, and it's not a big deal. So no, I'm let's just do it. We'll, ask it anyway. Yeah, we'll jump into true you know, or false after this question. I feel like we are in agreement here that this was quite possibly the best offensive game that we've seen out of Oklahoma. Would you say in this contest specifically, Manhattan, Skylar Thompson taking the field <laughs> completely unexpectedly by myself, you, you didn't not so much. You didn't listen to me. What I do tried I ever, to tell though? you. <laughs> All right, anyway, go ahead. 
Could you, when, you when we look at it, like I said, I feel like we're in agreement in saying that this is the best offensive from start to finish, the best offensive out, uh, output from this Oklahoma team this season. Would you also say that it required the best offensive performance of the season in order to secure a win? Because remember, Matt, my bold prediction mm-hmm. was that Oklahoma would score 30 points in this game. Right. They very much so did that. And my score prediction was 31. So I thought they would barely get there. They get the 37 best offensive performance. Would you say it was absolutely needed in this game? So we have the pressure and the deliverance is what I'm, what I'm looking at. Uh, that, that's a good question. I, I, you know, they, they've technically won this game by 14. Okay. You, you can, are they're 13. You, you, you got that last kickoff that the Kansas state ran back and, I think if it's if it's not a, a 13 point game at that point that that kickoff probably goes differently, but uh, maybe you're you're losing focus uh, just a little bit on that. Um, it was definitely welcomed. It was definitely um, something that maybe brought down some anxiety, but but I don't know that it was necessary to win the game. It certainly didn't hurt. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but defensively <laughs> there, there's other things that could have gone differently uh, with Oklahoma's defense. And we haven't got into the defensive recap yet, but I, I'm going to say it was welcomed. I don't know that it was absolutely necessary, but I'm glad it, I'm glad it happened. I wanted to ask a follow-up question with Spencer Rattler then as well, because we do see that interception out of Spencer Rattler. And I, I, Correct me on my numbers here, but I think Spencer Rattler's at three touchdown passes and three interceptions on the season. When you see Spencer Rattler throw this interception there, was that in the third quarter? Feels like it was in the third mm-hmm. quarter for me. Spencer Rattler throws the interception. What, what does Oklahoma do on their next offensive possession? Well, first off, on defense, they get the turnover on downs. And then they march back down the field and go for another touchdown. Lincoln Riley, after the game, said this about Spencer Rattler, is that he has the mental makeup to be a great quarterback. Is that also something that we really don't consider when we hear, and this is hearkening back to the Caleb Williams chance and the the Boo Birds that came out against Oklahoma, more specifically Spencer Rattler when he was playing against West Virginia. Is that one of the key factors that we're not really even considering that sets him apart and above any other candidate at the quarterback position? That oh, mental abs- makeup. Absolutely. And it, it comes with maturity. It comes with his age. I mean, look at the two guys behind him. The two guys behind him, both Caleb Williams and Ralph Rucker, they're true freshmen. So uh, as far as maturity goes on the field, they're not going to be developed as much as Spencer Rattler, who, by the way, is riding like a, was a 15-game winning streak right now for Oklahoma? And so, uh, absolutely, that that makeup of what's happening there with him is what makes this team and makes him special. And I, I, I'm a little bit confused on your your touchdowns to interception. I, I, I think you may have misspoke. He's got 10 touchdown passes on the season, um, right? Yeah, 10 touchdown passes to four interceptions on the season. So I, I don't – I think maybe you might have misspoke there on, on that. Yeah. But I'm just something flashed on my screen that said three and three. And when I say flashed on the screen, it's during the highlights of the game that I've watched. Anywho, anyway, regardless, maybe maybe that was against Kansas State. He had two touchdowns and one interception to Kansas State. And and yeah, it's a no brainer. It's hands down. It's um, 
it's Spencer Rattler bus for this team this season because you look at the two guys behind him again. The two guys behind him are true freshmen, and they're not going to lead Oklahoma to a Big 12 championship, much less a college football playoff berth. Awkward silence. <laughs> okay. Now you're jumping into true or false here. Let's go for it. <laughs> okay. So, again, you know how it works. It's uh, I'm going to say five true or false statements. You're going to tell me whether they're true. You're going to tell me whether they're false, and you're going to tell me why you're picking true or false. And then I may or, or may not share my opinion alongside with those statements so here we go five true or false questions they all have to do with saturday's win over kansas and so we're going to jump right into it i'm not guaranteeing easy again rich but here it is i I think you'll do good number one true or false getting booed at home actually helps spencer rattler prepare for playing on the road i don't know that it helps him prepare so i'm going to go for false with this one, I do think it set him on a course to prove his doubters wrong, though, and to continue at the level of efficiency that we've talked about. When we look at Spencer Rattler and we look, and I said that there was a potential turning point when we kind of recapped the West Virginia. We we didn't recap. You recapped the West Virginia game. So on the preview then for this game, I was saying I could see that as a turning point um, for him simply because of what we saw Lincoln Riley do with Spencer Rattler while they were playing Texas last year. Again, my answer is false for this one, but I do think it changed his trajectory, and I think it changed the the mindset that he had in going into this game, is that he was going to lean into the talents that he has, lean into the skill set that he possesses, and instead of trying to force some of the issues, instead of trying to make those big plays, just continue to play the efficient level of football that moves the chains and scores on nearly every possession in the game against Kansas State and instead turn those doubters into supporters. That's what I think it did for him. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface my um, – I'm going to preface my – my thoughts on this by, by saying that I'm really disappointed. Maybe it happened and I didn't hear it. I'm really disappointed in the Kansas state student section and fan base, because the opportunity was absolutely missed. If you want to get in Spencer Rattler's head on the road, you start chanting, we want Caleb, you know, you just, I mean, that has to be somewhere. Some student sections got to pick up on that. And the, the student section for Kansas State right behind the Oklahoma bench. And I just really disappointed that I never heard that uh, on Saturday. Um, that said, I do. I say this is true be, because you go on the road and you expect to hear nasty things. You expect to be booed. You expect the crowd to taunt you. You don't expect that at home. And that's probably more demeaning to him in his own place than it is on the road. And so I think it just kind of hardens him even that much more to any type of criticism that he may face on the road. But regardless, you're you're absolutely spot on and true with your assessment of that. He is better for it. And um and I, I you know I just think that it probably helped in a different way than what you're saying. But again, we can agree to disagree. Let's move on to number two. And and I'm gonna set you up because this is a um I'm just uh, this is a setup question. Okay. Just just be forewarned. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. If OU plays the way they played Saturday against Kansas State, then they'll get beat next week. No, I mean, no. 
that that one's false for me, Matt. Um, I think there are obviously things for Oklahoma to improve mm-hmm. upon, and that's for both sides, all three sides of the ball, if we want to go that far. But more particularly on both sides of the ball, I look at this defense and I look at the the lack of depth in the secondary. But I know that the strength and the heart of this defense has really been the defensive line and the mm-hmm. front seven as a whole. And what Texas is bringing to town is going to be a heavy dose of the running attack through their running back, Robinson, who's been basically an all-world running back up to this point. Sure, Texas has suffered a loss already coming into this game, but it doesn't make him any less dangerous of a ball carrier. In fact, he may be the best running back in the conference, and this is a conference that has Brees Hall in it still. B. John Robinson is, is out to prove that he is primed not only for a big year, but worthy of the consideration of the Heisman Trophy at the end of the year for this Texas program. I think, again, with this front seven, they're going to carry a majority of the responsibility, and then the secondary is going to be in place in order to limit any damage. But all that responsibility is going to go up front, offensive line. We've already talked about in limiting some of the mental mistakes with a 50-50 split in a stadium, it's going to be very interesting to see how that group responds, how some of these uh, transfers that are cementing themselves in this equation at the offensive line respond to being in that scenario because it is so unique. You don't get to play in a venue like that. You don't get to play with two fan bases on opposite ends of the field and opposite end zones like that ever, Mm -hmm. at least to my knowledge, even in a bowl game. So how will they adjust? What will the mental mistakes be? Again, there are some improvements, but you look at just what Oklahoma did and how capable they were. The only, the only complaint, which we'll get to on the defensive side of the ball for me was when Oklahoma opened up gigantic zones for Deuce Vaughn to sit in, which were seven to 10 yards downfield. We know how dangerous he is after he receives that pass from whoever it is, Will Howard or Skylar Thompson. We've seen how dangerous he can be and not to have a player in the vicinity, a defender in the vicinity of him was very jarring for Mm -hmm. me because we knew he would be the focal point. Obviously you wanted to limit what he was doing when he was rushing the ball, 51 yards rushing, 104 receiving though. Leading the the Kansas State Wildcats in receiving yards, that's something that I do think if Oklahoma can't fix against a guy like Robinson, they'll be in for a world of hurt. But I'm not too, too concerned about that because if Oklahoma plays, getting back to your question, if Oklahoma plays like they did this weekend, they'll still beat Texas. So, again, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with this because it's going to reiterate your point. I watched every second of that Texas TCU game, and I'm just going to say Casey Thompson did not look spectacular under the pressure that the TCU defensive front brought against him. And so if you're an Oklahoma fan, you start right there. This Texas offense, uh, you pressure Casey Thompson on obvious passing downs and looked a little bit rattled. Uh, Secondly, I – Again, that was a loaded question. I'm probably alienating some of the Oklahoma fan base, but I've seen that on social media, Rich. I've seen it after Tulane. We play this way against Nebraska, we're going to get beat. I saw it after Nebraska. We play this way against West Virginia, we're going to get beat. Saw it after West Virginia. We play this way against Kansas State, we're going to get beat. And guess what? Still seeing it. 
five and oh is still seeing we play this way next week we're going to get beat so i just want to throw that out there to see because i strongly disagree with that i i i'm on your side of this we're going to agree on this um there are things to improve there are going to be things to improve every week but at this point i i think you gotta at some point it's like me in oklahoma state right at some point you just gotta stop and say Okay, it is what it is. They find a way to win. And winning ugly is definitely better than losing pretty, right? And we've said that that's a mark of a good team. Like I said, I'll never never understand why that applies to other teams. But when Oklahoma Sooners fans just spit everywhere, my apologies if you saw that on a video, Matt. Um, But Oklahoma fans will apply that to other teams and saying good teams just find – a way to win. But when it comes to your own program, it's like that statement doesn't apply. If Oklahoma is finding a way to win, we should inherently say that they are a good football team. Are, are they a national championship caliber football team? That's a different conversation, but this is a good football team that at this point in time is undefeated and doesn't look like no matter how close you can come to them, Oklahoma is still going to have a chance to be in the driver's seat of this game and win it, even if it requires a field goal as mm-hmm. time expires. No, and that's a, that's a very, very solid point. I, I think the only way you can apply that statement, if Oklahoma plays this way next week, they'll, they'll get beat, is if next week is Alabama. Uh, I think that's the only way you can really apply that statement at this point. What about Georgia? Uh, I, I, I think Alabama is the better of the two, but we'll, we can throw Georgia in there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel real confident right now with Oklahoma going up against Georgia next Saturday either. Um, okay, so let's move on to number three, and I'm probably going to say less now for three, four, and five. Not saying I won't say anything, but I'll probably say less and leave these totally up to you. So, so number three, um, we we've seen we've seen Jaden Hazelwood lead the team in receptions. We've seen Marvin Mims. We, we've seen Mike Woods. True or false? Oklahoma doesn't have a go-to guy at receiver right now. I think that's false. I think the number one target is. Marvin Mims, but the defenses are keying in on him, really limiting what Marvin Mims, the maneuverability that he has in the open green of the grass that he has to run in. They're shading players over the top. Rotations are consistently moving in his direction, and he seems to be the first read, if not the first read, the second read on a lot of these plays as they begin to develop. He's just not open. And I think that'll come with experience for him. It's easy to forget after the season that he had, that he's a true sophomore this season technically could still be a freshman because they were granted the additional year of eligibility. But when we look at Marvin Mims and we look at what he was capable of, again, I believe it's easy to overlook that fact about him. He's still an underclassman. He's still gaining experience. He's still developing into the player that he will become but at the end of the day Marvin Mims has always been the the number one target on this current roster for me and then you've got the complimentary pieces the Mario Williams who's coming along progressing nicely the Jaden Hazelwood who seems to be the number one option in the red zone but can absolutely deliver when the moment calls for it you've got those three players I think Theo Weiss being available would change that equation quite significantly for me and I may not have said true or excuse me, false that there's not a number one receiver, but without Theo Weiss on the field, without his availability, again, it's undoubtedly to me, Marvin Mims. Okay. I just going to point out that uh, nine, 
nine players caught passes on Saturday against Kansas State. Mm-hmm. All five games this season, Oklahoma has had at least nine players catch a pass. And while I don't disagree with what you're saying, I do think it speaks to the fact that Oklahoma does have playmakers. And so one week it may have yeah. to be Jaden Hazelwood. One week it may have to be Michael well, Woods. One week it could be Marvin Mims like it was Saturday. I will say this is that it doesn't seem as though the chemistry is completely solidified between the quarterback Spencer Rattler and some of these receivers. We can talk about um, there. There's two specific throws. One of them is the interception severely underthrown. But when you look at where Mario Williams is on that play, despite the ball being underthrown, he's already beaten his defender. The safety's coming over to try to save the cornerback in that situation. And I think if, if, Spencer Rattler, who does have the talent to do this, does have the ability. If he's able to throw it in that gap, it's a big-time play. Oklahoma scores on that drive, and we're not even having this conversation about the kickoff anymore. Needless to say, that was one example. The second example, Mario Williams, once again, who has beaten his receiver, but I know what the route was, and it was more of going to – it was going to be a curl, an out route, something towards the sideline because that's where Spencer Rattler throws the ball. There's not that – there's not that chemistry where instead he throws it downfield. And the last time um, that I've seen that in person, I've got to go way, way back for that kind of chemistry that I've seen in person. And that, that was Jason White and Will Peoples, I believe it was, in the national championship game against USC, Mark the Orange Bowl, Mark Bradley, Mark Bradley, Mark Bradley. Mark Bradley. get away from that the punt, very... Mark Bradley. Don't touch that punt, <laughs> Mark Bradley. Sorry, I still have nightmares about that moment. Um, okay, so I'm just saying that that's a play that breaks off. Yeah. And because of the experience of the quarterback, because of the experience of the receiver, you're able to just throw the ball downfield and let the receiver get it. I don't feel as though Spencer Rattler and obviously these young receivers like Mario Williams are, are there yet. They're just not on the same page 100%. All right, fair enough. Number four, true or false, Kansas State did everything necessary to beat Oklahoma in the first half. They, they held the Sooners to field goals in two of their three offensive possessions. They mm-hmm. chewed up the clock. They, they, they moved the ball themselves. They did everything. They did the blueprint. They, they followed it to a T. So here's the question. Here's the statement. True or false? The fact that Kansas State did everything necessary to beat Oklahoma in the first half, but yet still trailed going into the locker room, is a huge takeaway for this Oklahoma football team on, on Saturday in general. Because the, the, we all know about the momentum shift in the second half. We know we've already talked about Oklahoma getting the ball to start the second half and really putting the pressure on Kansas State. All that's set up by the fact that Kansas State literally threw everything at Oklahoma, that, everything that they had, and they still trailed, and Oklahoma was immediately able to make it a two-score game in the third quarter. So true or false, the fact that Oklahoma was able to withstand that and go into the, the halftime with the lead is one of the biggest takeaways you can get from this trip to Manhattan. I, I do have to say that that one's true. Um, when we look at the blueprint that was laid, it really comes down to the number of offensive possessions. Sure, all the other stuff is like icing on the cake, it's not the cake. It was limiting the, the number of offensive possessions. And when you're able to do that to three and you as a, the Oklahoma Sooners opponent 
score twice yourself, it's putting a lot of pressure on this team to deliver, to speed things up, to maybe hit a little bit of the panic button and start to force the issue, which does typically result in turnovers for the opposing defense. So when we look at what Kansas State was doing schematically, when we look at the game plan that they came in with, I think they executed it perfectly in the first half. And like you've said, Matt, yes, this one's true. The fact that Oklahoma was leading, it should put all these other teams that are still on the schedule on notice. Okay, last question, true or false. Despite the penalties, Tyrese Robinson has been Oklahoma's best offensive lineman this season. It's a good question, if we're being honest. Um, Because I, I I love Marquise Hayes. And I love the potential that exists in him. But we've been looking for a leader on this offensive line, which is why I have to answer your question with true. When Creed Humphrey stepped off of this roster and in to the NFL, he left this, this, this huge void, these big shoes to fill. And the question was, who is actually going to fill them? And Matt, I think in our preseason talks, it wasn't anything that the national media was talking about. It was something that you and I had brought up. Um, because of what Creed Humphrey meant to not just this offensive line, but the team mm-hmm. as a whole. So who was going to step up and who was going to fill that role was the big question mark. Tyrese Robinson is the closest thing to replacing the attitude and the mentality and the physicality that Creed Humphrey exemplified on the field. When he begins to embrace that role on this team, I think you're going to see a completely different offensive line we've seen him take that step forward yes true he's the best offensive lineman on this team as through five games of the season but if he continues to embrace that role if he continues to assume that responsibility I do expect this offensive line to quickly become much better than they were that's it for this episode of true or this edition of true or false on this episode of the Sooner nation podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at sports Heartland. Let us know where you agree or disagree with what rich or I said, we're going to move on talk about Oklahoma's defense and then give the big 12 rundown as we finish up this episode. Okay. So some defensive thoughts here, rich, um, well, you already talked about Skylar Thompson and the surprise of him playing, I don't think this was a surprise for Oklahoma's defense. Um, it, w- it wasn't a mega surprise. I think if you were kind of following the coach speak, which is what I tried to hint at on Thursday, that there was a chance that Skylar Thompson was going to play in this game. And so I think for broadcast, for the drama and so forth, you got to like, you know, you got to play it up. Oh, this is a bombshell. Skylar Thompson's out on the field with the Kansas State Wildcats. Well, that's why I went back and reread to you what Chris Kleiman had said earlier in the week about his quarterbacks. And so I think it was a surprise, but it wasn't a bombshell surprise. But that said, it changes the way that you you play. And, and I don't know that it changed the game plan a whole lot, but I think it made the game plan a whole lot more difficult to execute. But this was a game where I think very much like Nebraska – you stop the run and then you make them beat you through the air. And Skylar Thompson, you got to give the kid credit. He almost did it. 29 of 41 of his passing attempts, 320 yards, 
three touchdowns. And probably the, the, the biggest thing you have to say about him is that he didn't turn the ball over. He led the Wildcats to 22 first downs, incredibly eight of 15. They were above, they were above 50% on third down conversions, 420 yards. So they had 28 more total yards of offense than Oklahoma did. A lot of that goes back to the first half and the lack of opportunity for the Sooners. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma held Kansas State below their averages in rushing, just 100 yards total. You already talked about mm-hmm. Deuce Vaughn, only 51 yards. This game plan got a, a whole lot more difficult to execute, but I don't think it changed a whole lot with Skylar Thompson out there. I do think it put a lot more on Oklahoma's plate with the coach speak in preparation for this game. And while it was it was never a true no, I interpreted it that way. And I can't say that the coaching staff is as gullible as I may have been (laughs) in that moment. Um, And so they're not only preparing for Will Howard, they're also preparing for the Lewis kid. And now they're preparing for Skylar Thompson because each of these different individual quarterbacks has a different skill set. Matt, we, we talked about in the preview that Howard may be the better runner than right. Thompson is, but Thompson is clearly the better passer. Absolutely. And then you throw Lewis in there and there's not a lot, there's not a lot of tape on this kid just yet at this point in his career. And so there's a lot to consider. There's a lot to prepare for. It probably wasted a lot of time in practice having to throw some of the, the Will Howard schematics in there for this practice squad. But at the end of the day, Skylar Thompson was was Kansas State's best chance at beating Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He's an experienced quarterback. This is a team that clearly responds to him and plays for him, knowing that he's the six-year senior. It's a completely different look when he's out there as well. And this is a team that plays with a lot of confidence. Sure, will they play for the win? Every team should step onto the field and play to win the game, not just to compete. And so it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. We knew that Kansas State was going to be physical, and that's exactly what they were, Matt. So when we look at what what transpired and what Oklahoma had to prepare for defensively, I think there was a lot on their plates. And when Skylar Thompson stepped out on the field, it simply meant they needed to execute. And I, again, do want to give a hat tip to the defense here because of what they're able to do against the run. And when Kansas State, more specifically, when Deuce Vaughn has hit that, the magic number of 100 yards in a game, guess what? Kansas State wins. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma keyed in on Deuce Vaughn and said, we're not going to allow you to run wild in this game, even though he had the almost 160 yards uh, all-purpose we're not going to allow you to run the football. We're not going to allow you to be successful in running the football. And we're going to let that that be the key to victory. And they executed beautifully in that aspect. No, they did. And and to the other point that you brought up earlier about Deuce Vaughn in the passing game, you know, Alex Grinch had one of the best quotes after the game. I, I'm going to paraphrase this. I was trying to find it here while you were talking, and I can't find ex- the exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase. And he said, something very similar to this. It was actually in our game plan to make sure that the running back was covered on passing plays, but you wouldn't have known that by watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, he said, we were good enough to win, 
but we've got to get better. And, and that's the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, from week one to week two, week two to week three, week three to week four, I mean, you get better every week and you're going up against a, an offense next week against Texas that the game plan is going to be very similar to what it was against Nebraska, what it was against Kansas State, what it was against West Virginia, and that you have to focus on the run. You have to stop the run, and you have to make them beat you through the air. I don't think that B. John Robinson is as dangerous in the passing game as what we saw with Deuce Vaughn. not at all. But also, I don't think Oklahoma can lose sight of Roshan Johnson, the other running back, who can be that guy in in the running game. So I would almost expect Texas to look at putting both guys on the field at the same time and really make Oklahoma commit to something or the other. But that game plan will start with Texas at stopping the run. And the good news is, if you're Oklahoma fans – You've seen that happen consistently against Nebraska, against West Virginia, and now against Kansas State. The bad news for Oklahoma is they've yet to face a runner like B. John Robinson, and that's going to be a key matchup next week for this defense. I, I, do, I do want to say this. When we're talking about the defense, if we're going to be critical, um, it comes to the turnover margin. You know, it, I think we've reached a point you know, for all five games this season, I can't remember off the top of my head how far back the streak goes. I, I want to say 15 games as well, the, the winning streak, how far back it goes with at least one turnover. I, I think we, we've reached a point now where we can expect turnovers. You can expect this defense to produce turnovers. And, and because of that, the dropped interceptions, you know, th- that they become <laughs> even more amplified you know, Key Lawrence, Jaden Davis, you got to think if, if, if DTL's able to go, that's, that's going to be an interception. I, I think you just, if it's DTL out there, it's got to, it's going to be intercepted. But I, all that said, those are passes you have to come up with. When, when those balls are in the air like that and you don't come up with them, you're inviting the offense to score. Because really what that does is it allows that offense to breathe a sigh of relief and think, hey, we got this. I mean, it just like it, it. It actually juices the offense when that play doesn't work out. When that ball's floating and the defense can't come down with it, you actually go in the next pass play with a little more confidence in your quarterback as a quarterback because you know the defense is struggling to come down with those balls. The, the, that's my biggest takeaway for this defense. They should have had three turnovers in this game. They should have. They should have had. And if you take three turnovers. You're taking points off the board for Kansas State, and you're making yourself – that's what I was talking about earlier when you are talking about the offense needed to have their best performance. Really, I think the defense needed to get two more turnovers, and with two more turnovers, this is a multi-score win for Oklahoma. I I do wholeheartedly agree with that, Matt. We've said the number has been two all year long, and Oklahoma last season, um, towards the end of the season, started putting it all together – we go back two years, and it was a defense that very much so mimicked what we saw on the field Saturday. You get the forced fumble from Reggie Grimes, but the two interceptions, one of them not as easy to catch as the other, but it still should have been at least two interceptions. And there was the oppor- or excuse me, two turnovers, and there was opportunity for three. Like I said, I'm willing to forgive the one, but the defenders are finding themselves in the right position. Mm-hmm on these plays to actually turn the ball over to make a play on the ball, but it's slipping through their hands. 
And like I said, that's that was an echo that I had said from previous years. When those things start to come together, this is a defense that has a lot of potential to put a lot of the pressure on these opposing offenses to continue to throw the ball downfield because they're going to find themselves in a hole pretty quickly. But it does rely on giving the ball back to the offense, this efficient, mind you, offense that we've been talking about. And that said, I, that's the reason why I'm not worried about Oklahoma surrendering the points that they surrendered. You know, they, you have the kickoff return for a touchdown. The defense surrendered 24 points in this game. That doesn't bother me because I think, again, as you improve from week one to week two to week three to week four and so on, you, you got to start coming up with those interceptions. You got to start coming up with those turnovers. And because of that, that the number of points that Oklahoma gave up defensively, I'm not concerned with it. What about you? I'm not concerned either. You're talking specifically moving forward. Right. I yeah, mean, this, does, does this the is... fact that, that Kansas State scored three touchdowns and a field goal against Oklahoma's defense, does that bother you knowing what you know about this Kansas State football team and what you know about this Oklahoma football yeah. team? Are you concerned about yeah. that at all? I, I am not. There's not a player in the conference, Matt, like Deuce Vaughn. Um, you talk about a short-statured guy who has speed, who has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. It, it just doesn't exist in this conference outside of Kansas State. And there's a couple of things that are coupled in with that because Skylar Thompson, while we think of him as the best thrower on the team, it doesn't mean that he's a pocket passer. He's mm -hmm. still a mobile quarterback, and we saw that on full display. This was a team, Oklahoma front, that got into the backfield regularly. Right. But what happens? A hand goes out, Skylar Thompson steps up and completely avoids a, a potential sack there. Oklahoma is an extremely talented – they have an extremely talented defensive line that's going to continue to give these quarterbacks problems. And you just have to look at – this is the most experienced quarterback in the conference, and this is a player who's had a lot of success – against Oklahoma. Right. You can't say that about you, people moving forward. So I you can't undersell that point about Skylar Thompson and his success against Oklahoma. You can't, that's, that's so last three years, he's two and one against the Sooners. Right. You it's, know, he's, he's Oklahoma's kryptonite. <laughs> True. Um, give me your defensive player of the game. Defensive player of the game for me. Um, th this one's just a wee bit tricky for me because I see the impact of some of these defensive ends like a Reggie Grimes, mm -hmm. but I, I was so sold on Nick Benito before the game that I feel like I have to be sold on him after right. the game as well. Yes. He comes up with a fumble recovery, even though he didn't force that fumble, but he's affecting this game in more ways than just what shows up mm -hmm. on the stat sheet. And he's the guy who's limiting the mobility of a guy like a Skylar Thompson. He's why I believe Skylar Thompson, instead of scrambling more often, there, there are times that I think Skylar Thompson would have loved to scramble, but you've got to know the speed of this defensive line. You've got to know the speed of the edge rusher, which is Nick Benito, and say, I'm not going to escape that. And instead throw the ball four or five yards downfield and let a playmaker make a play. So I do have to give a lot of credit in limiting what Skylar Thompson was able to do with his legs, as well as with the fumble, excuse me, the fumble recovery and the return that those go to, to, to Nick Benito for me. 
By the way, I don't know if you knew this, but the 70-yard fumble return was the longest fumble return in program history by one yard. So uh, so Nick Benito etching himself uh, in Oklahoma football history. I, I think I think you also have to look at a guy like Pat Fields who led the team with nine total tackles. Brian Osamoa made some big plays and really had an impact on on the way the play went for Kansas State. And then Isaiah Thomas with a, a huge sack um, to force Kansas State. They were they were inside Oklahoma's 10. Isaiah Thomas with the big sack, and then the Wildcats had to settle for a field goal there late in the second quarter. So I think if I had all those guys are out there with big performances, but I think if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with Pat Fields for pacing the team with nine total tackles. Big 12 rundown. Let's just jump in here and close us out by going through the five conference games, starting with Kansas and Iowa state. The, the Cyclones just thrashed the Jayhawks. Every time I feel like I can like just kind of give Kansas something, I feel like they just spit on it and walk away. Um, I, I was mildly curious whether Kansas would be able to cover. I think they were a 34 point underdog and I just mm-hmm. thought that's the game within the game. They're not going to beat Iowa State, but can you cover 30, 32 points against the Cyclones? And the answer was a resounding no. I mean, they were 52 points uh, worse <laughs> than the Cyclones on Saturday. You were right about this. I was absolutely wrong. We, we all know that I don't mind pointing out the areas that I say things correctly and prognosticate, but I also don't mind saying I'm wrong. And I think... I had West Virginia locked on seven points against Texas Tech, especially considering the Red Raiders had a backup quarterback. I had the over locked on this game. I had West Virginia scoring in the 40s against a Tech defense that got wrecked by 70 points uh, to Texas the week before. But Texas Tech goes to Morgantown and walks out with a 23-20 win over the Red over the Mountaineers, and that suddenly suddenly you you're getting coaching pressure on the hot seat there for Mr. Brown mm-hmm. in Morgantown, Matt Wells at four and one, you're seeing that his, his, he's cooling off as far as pressure is, but Brown rich now hundred uh, percent West Virginia fans are not happy with this program right now. Two and three, zero oh and two in conference play. Yeah. It's a little bit strange. Cause I know the heartbeat of the fan, in West Virginia has been the essentially looking at the recruiting classes and saying we are pleased with the the classes that are coming in and hoping that that would translate to the on the field product. It simply hasn't at this point in time. Excuse me, not Oklahoma, West Virginia beats teams or at least competes with teams that are better than them, but it's like they play down to their Mm -hmm. opponent. At the same time, when there's a team on their field that they should beat, they're losing to them. And that was very evident this weekend with Texas Tech. I do agree, Matt. That seat is heating up. I thought Matt Wells was going to be the one who was in the hot seat all season long. But that, my opinion, may quickly change. Quickly. Would you say at this point that uh, Neil Brown is the most likely candidate to be fired in the big 12. I mean, I'm, there's still two months of the season, but at this point, mm-hmm. would you say Neil Brown is that guy most likely to be fired? It, it's seeming that way. Um, 
I, I, I can't, I could flip a coin at this point in time and say Wells or Brown, but the, the course of the season will determine that as we get a little bit further into conference play. It just seems as the way things are playing out for West Virginia, that, that Neil Brown is the more likely candidate of the two. I think Matt Wells is two wins away from securing uh, next season as the Texas Tech head coach. Uh, Texas Longhorns 32 to 27 over TCU in Fort Worth. This is a game that Gary Patterson is probably just having an just an ulcer. He's he's just shotgunning Pepto Bismol right now because he's looking at his team that really outplayed Texas, but just literally turned this ball over, turned this game over and handed it to the Texas Longhorns. Just some really bad mistakes. But uh, beyond Rob, B. John Robinson, 35 carries, 216 yards. Uh, he he should be the offensive player of the week for the Big 12 this week. But um, Texas, if you watch this game, certainly looked more vulnerable than they had the previous two weeks uh, against Rice and Texas Tech. Or te- yeah, Texas Tech. Yeah, we knew that this was going to be a close game between Texas and TCU. The spread from Vegas and the the bookies, if you will, was very indicative of how this game would play out. Now, whether you believed it or not was a completely different story, but you and I seem to be buying in. You look at third down efficiency, I know that's that's an indicator of how well you're you're operating offensively or how well the defense is operating if you're on the opposite side of the ball. And to me, these were two teams, Matt, that really couldn't get um, any level of consistency going on third down. And some of that situational, some of that was simply execution. It just wasn't working. I agree with you. While Texas is in the top 25, they are a vulnerable team. They're getting a lot in the preseason, at least we talked about. They get a lot of recognition because of the name across the front of the chest. Right now, I think they're earning that recognition at four and one. And you saw the rise of Arkansas. I, I, I'm just, I'm not sold on Texas. I'm not sold on Texas being back. There are some other programs across the country. I know Bob Stoops went on record saying that there was another program that was back. I'm just not sold when people begin to say those things Mm -hmm. of a team, show me, show me long-term, show me over the course of three years that you can be successful and produce a winning record. And while Steve Sarkeesian is in his first year, he hasn't had that opportunity. They're trying to build something right now at Texas. So show me the longevity, show me the consistency, show me the the three-year span where this is a team that has produced a winning record before we officially say that they're back. They're still in a very vulnerable position, if you're asking me, much like you've said. Last time Texas was ranked, they got run-ruled by Arkansas. We'll see what happens this Saturday in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, The Big 12 game of the week, Baylor at Oklahoma State, a battle of top 25 teams Baylor, a no-show in the first half, uh, zero points on the board. They, they put up 14 in the second half, but it's too little too late. Cowboys, 10 fourth-quarter points to secure this win. Spencer Sanders looked a lot more like the Spencer Sanders of old, 13 of 23, 183 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. But this is Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren has changed this Oklahoma State team, 125 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Oklahoma State getting it done with defense. Baylor out of the top 25 now, but still four and one. They've, in my opinion, you, you come in and you drop an egg like this as a national ranked team, you kind of lose some of your luster here. 
And uh, play calling, in my opinion, was just atrocious for the Bears on Saturday night. Yeah, I didn't. This is going to upset some people from the Oklahoma State fan base. I didn't think Jalen Warren was as good as advertised in this game. Yes, he carried the rock more often than not. You see him get the 36 carries there, but it's that that three and a half yard average. That's mm-hmm. that's nothing to write home about. That's to me middle of the road. Hey, you do that three but, times, you got a first down. Right, but you look at the two touchdowns, which is obviously a big difference maker. Mm-hmm. And when you're crossing the goal line, and when you're, I mean, let's let's just simplify and say when you're in the red zone and you're able to run the ball and you're able to score while running the ball, it goes a long way for you as a team. Yes, Spencer Sanders struggled. Jalen Warren, Warren average to me. The difference maker was Spencer Sanders when he decided to take off and run because you're looking at 6.3 right. yards per carry, 12 rushing attempts, 76 yards. Again, I, I think that's the difference maker here is his athleticism. Okay, that's it for this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. It is officially hate week, Oklahoma, Texas, the Red River rivalry coming up in Dallas on Saturday morning. You can find us every day, heartland-sports.com. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Uh, participate in the podcast by dropping us a message on Twitter, uh, hitting us up on the, on, as in the comments section on the website. And we'll be back to break down the Sooners and the Longhorns on Thursday. Enjoy your hate week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.